All right, good morning. Welcome to City Light. My name's Nate. I'm one of the pastors here. If you are new here, we're so glad that you're here. Please fill out the Connect card on your seat. We would love to get to know you some more and to help you on your journey in life, wherever that may be. If you can exchange it at the end of the service on your way out, we have a black box with a gift in it that we would like to give you. And so please go ahead and do that. Um, uh, Yes, I know I got a haircut, so I'm going to save you on pointing that out to me. Yes, it looks good, right? Yeah, it looks good. Thank you. Thank you. I've had a few military people tell me I look ready. I look ready. And I'm like, I would never make it. I would never make it. Praise be to you guys who do, do well in that. Um, uh, Hey, look, uh, we're going to jump into the Bible, but before we do that, I wanted to give you a little update. Uh, We found some potential ways to serve and to bless uh, the Ukrainian people, and so I'm going to tell you what that is, but the way you're going to give to that is through City Light, and so I'm going to ask you to go above and beyond your normal giving, and we're going to use these additional funds. If you want to tag it in your giving as Ukraine, but there's not a separate fund or anything like that, Uh, but you're going to give through City Light. Here are some ways we're already working. And so there's an organization called SALT, which is actually run uh, by a local friend of ours who's Ukrainian. Uh, And there's people in this congregation that are already familiar with that. Uh, He mobilizes, they're mobilizing 10 church planning partners to basically resource and aid refugees. And so they're on the ground and they're Ukrainian. They're working there already. And now obviously in the midst of this crisis, uh, we want to do what we can. And so let me give you some examples of the kind of money that's needed and what that can do. And so here are a few examples. Uh, $10,000 can feed 600 people for one week. $10,000 can take 100 families across the border into Moldova. This is food and gas. $10,000 can house 238 people for a week. And so there are some examples of what we could do with $10,000 at the very least. Uh, And so they are on the ground. They are active at work. We have an already existing uh, relationship with the guy who leads it. And so, therefore, uh, I know some of you asked, well, is there anything I can do? Obviously, we will continue to pray. Pray, pray, pray. Pray for justice. Pray for peace. Pray for comfort. Pray for the Lord to work in and through that situation in supernatural ways that are way above and beyond our pay grade. Uh, We need the Lord to do that. At the same time, as you can pray, I'm encouraging you to give and to go above and beyond your normal giving so that we can take those additional resources and funnel them directly to this organization so they can support the work going on the ground right now. And so if you ask how can I get involved, that's a way you can do it. Uh, and they're doing some really good work. They were there before, they're there now, and so these are local Ukrainian leaders, church partners who are doing a good job staying brave, staying on the ground, uh, serving the refugees and serving the, the, the struggle there right now. So that's a way you can do it. So go ahead this week, even today, if you wanna go ahead and give, we can use that money uh, right away. And so that's one of the ways we're going to serve as a church and partner with the work going on there. Everybody good on that? Okay, okay, that is a useless thing for me to say unless you go do it, all right? So, you know, talking doesn't help very much, all right? It's the action after the talking, all right? So even if it's whatever you got, just give. You say, I gotta gotta be a part of this in some way. Uh, This is really good work, and I promise you it's gonna go through a a good cause uh, for them to serve there. And so do that today. Make it in your calendar. Mark it so that you don't forget, uh, and go ahead and participate with us as we serve the people of Ukraine in this really tragic time. All right, so 1 Thessalonians, we're going to go ahead and open your Bible to 1 Thessalonians. Let's go. All right. This uh, week, 
We are starting a new series going through First and Second Thessalonians. This is going to take us the next couple months. Uh, and so I am very excited to jump into the Word of God and to work through First and Second Thessalonians over these next few months with you. On your chair is a scripture journal. Those of you who come to City Light are familiar. If you're new here, uh, these are resources uh, that we want you to use so that you can write stuff down during the sermon and so that you can read the Bible and mark it out through the week. And so I say all the time, man shall not live by sermons alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. You will grow to the extent that you participate in the word of God on your own, right? Sermons are cherries on top. God gives you the ice cream, right? Okay, so you gotta go spend time with God. That's how you're going to grow, all right? That's the main way you're going to grow via the Holy Spirit teaching you when you're opening the word of God, when you're doing that alone, when you're doing that with a couple friends and family, when you're doing that in a lighthouse, okay? Shout out to our lighthouses. You need to get involved in one. When you're doing that in a variety of ways, and then you come on Sunday and you get to do it together with a whole bunch of people and be encouraged. But we're giving you this to use it, okay? It doesn't do very much for you sitting on the seat and it won't help you very much sitting in your car and it won't help you very much on the shelf at your house, but it will help you if you use it, okay? So get out your pen, your paper. Listen, if you already mark up your Bible or if you use something already, great. You can keep doing that, okay? This isn't a commandment, but this is very helpful for you to be able to focus in, write stuff down, read the Bible, mark it up, Use this so that during these next two months, you can grow more than you ever would have expected because you participated in the word of God Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday morning, we're encouraged through the preaching of the word. And so take this. We believe so much in this, all right? I'm taking a couple minutes of my sermon time to convince you to use this book, all right? So use it. Grow in your scripture reading. And your life will change when you get into the Bible. I promise you, I promise you that. Uh, there is no preacher good enough to do the work of changing your life, all right? That's what the Lord does, and the Lord does it primarily through the Word of God, and he uses preachers and teachers of the Bible to do that. Uh, but if you believe in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's a better teacher of the Bible than me, okay? I want you to be understand that, or any other teacher of the Bible. The Holy Spirit's very good at this. And so the Holy Spirit will reveal things to you as you open the Word of God, and then community comes around you and teachers of the word come around you to encourage you in those things, to correct maybe some misunderstandings. Uh, and so please use it, please. I want you to grow, okay? I want you to grow spiritually so much. And I know that that's gonna happen when you get into the word of God. And so use it, mark it up. It's gonna be great. So first and second Thessalonians. Uh, the reason for this particular series uh, is that God is doing a lot of amazing things in and through this church and through you guys. And it's really fun to be a part of. I'm very thankful to be a part of the work of God in and through this church. And he has been moving in this city. He has been moving around the world through this church, through your giving, through your generosity, through your times, your talents, your treasures, through your devotion and commitment to Christ. And so what we must be intentional to do is to continue in the things God has already been doing and teaching us and to guard the good things that are happening here. So we say, well, I love the fact that there's a ton of unity in this church, not a ton of fighting amongst one another. So that's really wonderful. What Paul's going to tell us is, okay, well, you don't move beyond that and then find something else to fix. Actually, you guard it. And well, the word, the phrase he's going to use that's going to define this series for us is more and more. We learn from Paul in First and Second Thessalonians that the way forward is not something new, but doing the same things more and more. 
We go wider by going deeper. We increase our impact by doing the same things more and more. Okay, I want you to imagine the words of this book through these next couple months like a little kid saying again. You know, you throw them in the air. What do they say? Again, 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 again. You know, when I'm on the trampoline jumping, I'm like, this is a real workout right now. Uh, because it's just again, 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 again. Pop us. Let's play popcorn, daddy. You know, again, again. And so eventually you get tired. But this is the idea here. It's like, oh, this is good. Let's do it again. Oh, you love one another? Great. Do it again. You know, oh, you're serving your community? Great. Do it again, you know? And what I want us to understand as we dive into this series is that to do things, to do so more and more, to actually live that out, is not to do more things, but to do the right things over and over again. So the charge to do more and more isn't an obligation on your back to do more things for many of you. For some of you, it might be because you're doing nothing. And so this is the charge from the Lord to say, you can't do more and more of nothing. And so you have to get involved, do something. But for many of us, you say, you're serving, you're you're trying to follow the Lord. You say, okay, well, the charge to do more and more is not to do more things, but to do the right things over and over and over and over again. And the Lord's going to use that for us to be able to move forward. So That's the idea that the scriptures are presenting to us in a variety of ways. We're going to touch on a million things, obviously, as we work through the scriptures. Uh, But this is the big concept. So go ahead. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 1. We're going to read chapter 1. That will be our text for today. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God, our God and Father, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So that we do not say anything, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols. This is probably for many of you today. The Lord is calling you to turn to God from idols, to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now that is a full 10 sentences, all right? This is a lot. This is meaty. I want to I start out just by introing the series to give you an idea of what's happening historically here. First Thessalonians was written by Paul, the apostle. He wrote the majority of the New Testament, at least in terms of books. He was in Corinth around A.D. 49 through 51 when he wrote this. So he's spending a missionary journey, and and he's now in Corinth. He's writing back to the Thessalonians. So Acts 17 records the founding of this church. So if you just want to match some things up, the Thessalonian church was founded in Thessalonica 
And Acts 17 tells us about how that happened. As a matter of fact, it seems like Paul was only there for a few weeks before he got ran out of town. So he started a church, and the church was three weeks old when he left, all right? So can you imagine? Can you imagine how? So he's obviously worried about them, and we learn that he sends his buddy Timothy to check in on them. So he leaves. He's concerned. He sends Timothy back. Timothy brings Paul a report of how the Thessalonian church is doing, and Paul writes this letter in response to that report. Basically, to encourage them that he's heard good things and to clarify some questions they had, particularly about the end of the world, which is important, and we're going to go ahead and dive into that as the series progresses. So this is what Paul is doing. Now, the amazing thing about this whole church is that they were only around for a few weeks before Paul left. They basically had to learn how to be a church from his letters and from his apprentice, Timothy. But in light of the fact that they were young and in light of the fact that they didn't have much to go with yet, they became the example church for their entire area. They were the go-to. They were the model. And so in light of that, today's message is called Everywhere Faith. Everywhere Faith. Because look at how it describes the Thessalonian church. Verse 8, your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. Your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. And though you are young and though you have much to learn, you are the example for your brothers and sisters across the globe. And this is my prayer, that the Lord would raise us up as well and that the testimony of City Light Church would be that our faith has gone forth everywhere. Everywhere. That what God began in Falls Church had an impact throughout Nova and around the states and across the globe. And there's a way forward to make sure that this happens. I want you to consider the impact of this. I mean, imagine all of the times in your life when something spills or something happens and the phrase that comes out in your mouth, right, you're sitting at the dinner table and, you know, those of you who have little kids and they have a little thing of milk and they knock it over and you stand up and you say, that got what? Everywhere, everywhere, you know? That got everywhere. How did, there was only that much milk in the cup, and it's covered the whole table. This is not scientifically possible. It hit every kid. Every, how is this possible? It got everywhere, you know? Or in even worse cases, maybe there's a rumor, and one person said something to somebody. Then all of a sudden, 100 people are saying the same thing to somebody. And then you, when the rumor's about you, you think, what? How did that got everywhere? Something that started small in one place trickled its way in many places, and your natural response is, man, how did that happen? That got everywhere. And I want you to apply that same thinking to what the gospel is supposed to do that starts maybe small and within a small place or within a one person, but the idea is that it spills out, and the response looking back on what happened in one place should be, well, that got everywhere. That got out of control. What happened in one little town ended up all over the world. How does that happen? Well, that's the goal. That's what we're after. That's what the Thessalonians, that's what Thessalonians were doing. And so that's what we want to learn about and pursue as City Light Church. May our faith be something that gets everywhere. Amen? Amen. It doesn't start here. It, just, it doesn't just start here. It starts here and it gets everywhere. Some examples of this are it says that their faith... They were an example to all believers in Macedonia. Macedonia is a huge region, and it covers the very least the churches we know about is churches in Philippi, Berea, and the Thessalonican church. 
Not only were they in Macedonia, an example, but they were also an example farther out to Achaia, which covers the church in Athens and Corinth. And so at the very least, at the very least, what we know is this one little young church was the model for some of these older and bigger churches. And at least these five ones are proven to have said that they were an example to these five churches at minimum. You can learn even more about this in 2 Corinthians 8 when Paul mentions the churches in Macedonia as examples and leaders in generosity. Though they were the poorest, they gave the most. And now he sets them up as an example to Corinth because they were wealthy. And he says, look at these people who are poor and are giving everything that they have as a model for you. And so over and over and over again, I want you to understand as we work through this book, this is a model church. As a matter of fact, uh, what Paul says here, he tells the church specifically that their faith was a pattern or a type that has inspired discipleship of other places. He has never said this and never said it to any other church in the New Testament. This is the only church he looked at and said, the way you do things is a pattern for others to follow. This is the only time he said that. And so now we see, wow, this is very important. And if we follow through with the things the Lord is teaching, and especially if we model ourselves after what the Thessalonica church was doing, the church of Thessalonica, we can have a faith that spreads everywhere, both locally and globally. So the question should be, if you care at all about actually seeing this happen, is how does this happen? And I think we see two things here in particular. These two things are his power and your faith. And so how does this work? How does something that starts in one place spread everywhere in other places? How does a small and young congregation prove to be a model for older and more established churches all throughout the area? How does that look? What is, hap what is happening? Here are two things, his power and your faith. Okay, so we're gonna start with his power. Here's something for you to write down. When we rely on God's power, then we get God's results. When we rely on God's power, then we will get God's results. Look in verse five, it says, the word came to you, but it didn't just come, it came in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And so what happens? Let me lay out how this whole 10 verses works, okay? The word comes in power by the Holy Spirit. This power coming from the word and the gospel creates full conviction, a full, complete understanding of who I am and who God is, and a full desire to live according to who God is, a full conviction about my sin, a full conviction about God's grace, a full conviction about my purpose on the earth. So the word comes, and it doesn't just create some help or some affirmation, it brings full conviction. So we know the word has come in power, when it brings full conviction, not partly convinced, not a little bit of help, but a complete uprooting of our lives and a complete understanding of who God is, full conviction. So this full conviction, what are they fully convinced about? Okay, I'm just, um, the, the passage doesn't work linearly, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You gotta, you gotta see how this works. What are they fully convinced about in verse five? They're fully convinced about verse four, being loved and chosen by God. 
He says, you brothers are loved and chosen by God. When the gospel message shows up to Thessalonica, the message of the gospel is that, yes, you have sin and you need to repent, but the good news is that you are loved and chosen by God. And God's love is the love that you need. It's the thing you've been looking for your whole life. And so he shows up to a town he's never been, and he says, you're loved by God. And the gospel comes with power, so they're fully convinced, I am loved by God. And this message of God's love leads them to do what? Verse 9 and 10. Turn from idols, false love, fake love, to turn from their drink and to turn from their wayward way of life and to turn from their computer and to turn from their job and to turn from finding success here and there, to turn from finding satisfaction in this other person, to turn. They're turning away from their idols. Idols aren't just things you carve out and bow on your knees and worship, which still happens, but idols are anything you worship other than God. It's an idol. And so to find all your satisfaction in your job performance makes your job an idol because you're supposed to be satisfied in Jesus. Right To find all your purpose in some cause on the earth instead of matching your purpose to the cause of the mission of the gospel turns that cause into an idol. Anything that you love, that you go to because you can't cope with your life, all your coping mechanisms, if they're done in place of going to God, make them an idol because you're replacing God with that. You see, now this is, the idol worship is something you and I do all the time. And because they are convinced they are loved by God, it is the love that comes from God that helps them turn from idols. So they throw away fake love, and they throw away fake worship, and they throw away fake happiness, fake satisfaction, fake purpose, and they receive the real thing in the gospel. If you are fully convinced that God loves you, you will live a life that turns from these things and towards God. And you won't do that perfectly, and that's why God loves you anyways. But that should be the testimony of every person who calls themselves a Christian. It's not that you said a few words one day, but that your life has turned from following the world and serving your idols to following God and serving him. So this is what happens, right? Full conviction, they're fully convinced about being loved by God. Being convinced about being loved by God leads them to actually change their life, to turn from idols to serve God. The way that they did this is now described in verse 3. A work of faith, a labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. So what, what happened after they turned from idols? How do they describe the lifestyle of someone that has turned away from the world and toward God? Work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope. As a matter of fact, the gospel came in such power that one of the byproducts was that they received joy in the Holy Spirit, even in the midst of their suffering. And finally, verse 8, their life, was a, their life and faith was worthy of worldwide testimony. So that's how the passage works. The gospel comes in in power. It creates full conviction. They are fully convinced that they are loved by God. This love from God compels them to turn from idols and to follow Jesus. When they follow Jesus, the life they live is a work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope. They experience joy even in suffering, and their whole life ends up being a worldwide testimony. That's how the passage works. And so let me summarize that in something you can write down, okay? I'm calling this the Holy Spirit powertrain, all right? 
We want to get on the Holy Spirit power train at City Light Church, right? Choo-choo, let's go, all right? This is how this works. We're going to get in this, okay? How does this work? Okay, the Holy Spirit power train is this, all right? We want the power of the Holy Spirit, yeah? Yeah? Okay, we don't want power that comes from, like, good sermons or good bands or good resources or good strategies, none of that. We want to do those things well, but I'm going to say it time, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. How does the power of the Holy Spirit work? Okay, the full gospel comes in. So not half gospel, not just God loves you gospel, but you're a sinner and an enemy of God and you need salvation and God loves you. And so he sent Jesus to save you. If you believe and trust in his life, his death and his resurrection, you will be saved. But if you do not, you will suffer the wrath of God. That's the full gospel to say that you are a sinner, God is a savior, he wants to save you, he will save you if you believe and trust in him, but if you don't, you will suffer eternally apart from God forever, the wrath of God. This is a full gospel, a gospel that loves Jesus, a gospel that is not about health, wealth, and prosperity, not the American gospel, but the full gospel, the full gospel that helps you when you're suffering. The full gospel that doesn't overlook your sin and say, well, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. But God is a big savior. That's the good news. It's the full gospel. We have to preach the full gospel. We have to be a people who live out the full gospel. We do not water down our gospel to make it more easily received by the world. It ends up being no gospel. And nobody can be saved by a no gospel. It doesn't save anybody. And so we do it with grace, and we do it with full conviction, but the full gospel must come. The full gospel must be preached in your home. The full gospel must be preached in your, wherever your spheres of influence are, the full gospel must be preached in this church. The full gospel must be preached in these neighborhoods and in these schools, particularly through the servants of God who are in these places. When the full gospel comes, it brings with it full conviction by the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit powertrain. The full gospel comes in. The gospel does something supernatural that a person can't do. And it creates full conviction that yes, this is true. Once full conviction is brought by the Holy Spirit, this leads way to full faith. To say, I've heard the full gospel, I am fully convinced, therefore I have put all my faith in Jesus. Not some of it. I don't add Jesus to my way of life. I don't add him to my options. I throw away literally everything else, and I put all my faith in Jesus. This is the response of someone who's been fully convinced by the gospel. When someone who is full of faith, that person, like we just read in verse 9 and 10, leads to a full life change. So to get Full conviction based off the full gospel and for you to be given full faith to believe is going to necessarily lead to a full life change, an entire 180. There is no chance you can claim to have the Holy Spirit and for your life to be the same as it was before. That is impossible. A full life change. When your life is fully changed, then this is going to lead to full impact. Full impact on a city, full impact in a church, the kind of full impact that leads to the testimony being something of worldwide value. The full gospel comes in. People are fully convinced. They are given full faith to believe. This leads to a full life change. 
and a full life change leads to full impact. This is the Holy Spirit powertrain. If you want me to put it simple, it would be this. The gospel comes in, a life gets changed. The gospel goes out, other lives get changed. We complicate things way too much. This is how Christian ministry works. It's this simple. The gospel comes in, it radically changes your life. And every week and here and throughout the week at a lighthouse and with your friends and family and in your home, as we talked about leading your home, in all these places, you are constantly reminded of one thing, the gospel, you know. And as I preach, we'll teach many things, but it's always in light of the gospel. And so the gospel comes in, your life gets changed, like dramatically changed. And then the gospel goes out and other lives get changed. And sometimes our problem is we don't let the gospel in. So our life doesn't get changed. And sometimes our problem is that the gospel has come in, but it's like a bucket, it's just sitting there. And it's not going out, so other lives aren't getting changed. And the way it should work is that the gospel comes in, life gets changed, gospel goes out, other lives get changed. Go to Lighthouse, gospel comes in, life gets changed a little bit. Go out, I'm encouraged, preach the gospel, other lives get changed. Come to church, gospel comes in, life gets changed a little bit more. Go out, preach the gospel, other lives get changed. Open my Bible in the morning, gospel comes in, life gets changed. Go out, preach the gospel, other lives get changed. And so on and so on and so on and so on we go. The Holy Spirit powertrain then gets in effect and we're really, really moving. So the word of the gospel came with power and Holy Spirit and full conviction. Now, the question is, what kind of power? Well, there seems to be obviously a, a couple things at play here. First is the power represented throughout the New Testament in signs and wonders, the confirmation of the message. And so along with the gospel came the power to literally change lives and heal people. And so now the gospel is being confirmed by the power, and we've talked about how in many ways that is still active today, but also the power of a changed life. So signs and wonders and the power of a changed life. And so the gospel comes in power and it saves a soul, which is the greatest miracle that ever happened on planet earth, right? I'd rather you save your soul than get your arm back. You know what I'm saying? And I pray that the Lord heals you, but you gotta save your soul. So when the gospel comes in, it is confirmed with signs and wonders or confirmed in many different ways through the power of the Holy Spirit. But most importantly, it's confirmed through the change of a life by the saving of a soul. The power comes in and it changes things. This is a reminder that as we preach the gospel, we are not giving TED Talks. There's nothing about me right now that's a TED Talk. There's nothing about you with a friend that's a TED Talk. You're not trying to be clever. You're not trying to be wise. As a matter of fact, Paul says, I ain't got nothing to say except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. And so now we bring it and we say, I expect the power of God to fall on these words that are coming out of my mouth. That's what I have to constantly remind myself, even as a preacher, to say, I need to expect the power, supernatural power of God. The power of God that heals bodies, the power of God that heals souls. The power of God, as the word says, when it comes, it inspects the very inner workings of your heart. The power of God that exposes you. The power of God that encourages you. The power of God that says things to you that you didn't even know about yourself. The power of God that leads somebody to come pray over you, a prayer that's so specific it can only be from God. These are the kinds of things we should expect to happen. 
And sometimes we get so caught up in some huge dramatic signs and wonders, which are obviously God can do anything he wants to do. But we forget that if we just follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, what if God's asking you to pray and you go over and you pray over someone, and I've heard this time and time again, this happens at Restore, where the words are so specific, it's uncanny. And that's the power of God coming to confirm the message. These are things we have to expect. These are things we must know and understand and pursue to say, I'm not giving a TED Talk, and I'm not trying to be smart, and I'm not expecting anything I say by the cleverness of it to produce anything. But what I do know is the Word of God in and of itself has power, and the Lord also comes alongside me and comes alongside you and comes alongside us to do other things in the world to confirm the message. This has happened time and time again in my life. Where I need to take a step of faith, and in college a check comes in the mail. One that I didn't ask for, that was for a very specific amount that I needed. These kinds of things that confirm, the power comes in, it confirms, this is what you're supposed to do. These are the things I need you to do. And I want us to begin to expect those things and to say we expect the word of God to come in power. We expect the power of God to confirm the message of God. This is not a TED Talk. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. And if all we've done today is talk, then we've missed the whole point. It's supposed to be talking in power. This is not a TED Talk. The power of God was confirmed both with signs and wonders and also with the salvation and life change, healing of circumstances, bodies, and healing of souls and eternities. So the power is also found in the message, the power of the message of the love of God. As we talked about before, the message is you are loved and in Christ through belief in him chosen by God. I have good news for you in the midst of your sin and your suffering and your struggle. God sees you as you are and he loves you as you are and he will change you from the inside out if you will believe and trust in him. The good news is that instead of going to hell to suffer the wrath of God, you can go to heaven and enjoy the love of God. And the power of the love of God begins to transform a heart. When the love comes in, the heart gets changed and love begins to flow out. So we see this happening time and time again. The Holy Spirit now, so it comes in power. So that was a word. And with the Holy Spirit, and obviously the Holy Spirit is bringing the power, but he's shared those two things separate. I think for the reason that power brings confirmation and Holy Spirit brings conviction. So power comes, Holy Spirit, full conviction. And as we see throughout the way this flows in the New Testament, is the power comes, something external, some prayer, some healing, something, and it confirms the word. Now, I must remind you as well, the word stands on its own. It doesn't need those things, but the Lord in his graciousness sometimes utilizes those things to confirm something because we need that. And so the word stands in and of itself, and the, and the Lord brings power alongside of it to confirm. Power brings confirmation, and the, word, the Holy Spirit brings conviction. Specifically, John 16, 9, the Holy Spirit brings conviction about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Nobody will ever believe they are a sinner unless the Holy Spirit makes them convinced of that. You never woke up and thought, I'm a, I'm a sinner on your own. You never thought, man, I am probably going to hell, and I need salvation from that. Nobody ever just walked about their day thinking, you know, I at my core am inherently evil, evil and wicked, right? And that's certainly not the message of the world, you know, affirm, 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 build up your self-esteem. You're great. Ain't nothing wrong with you. Well, yes, there is. There's a lot wrong with you and me, okay? 
right? Come on. Who believes that? They say, you know, of course, there's something wrong with me. I mean, that's obvious, you know? Be married for one second, and it's obvious, you know? Some of y'all don't know there's anything wrong with you because you're not in any relationships with anybody, okay? You ain't got no friends. You got no friends. You know what I'm saying? You just sit in your house. You don't know, okay? Hang out with some people. They'll tell you, all right? Okay, there's something wrong with all of us. Why are we so afraid of that, all right? I have issues. I have mistakes. I have regrets. I have sin struggles. There is something really wrong with me, and I need Jesus to save me. But nobody's ever going to believe that unless the Holy Spirit convinces them. Which is why you have to pray. You cannot convince someone of these truths. The Holy Spirit must bring the conviction. So the Holy Spirit convinces of, convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's scripture. Also, the Holy Spirit, John 16, 1 and 2, bears witness to Jesus. And so not only does he convince the fact that I need, that there's something wrong with me, but then he also brings the good news that someone's here to fix it, you know? So yeah, yeah, your washer's broken like we talked about, but yeah, I have an expert, right? He fixes washers, all right? And so now to say, yeah, there's something wrong with you. As a matter of fact, it's going to lead to an eternity in hell apart from God. Not gonna sugarcoat it, not gonna make it sound better than it is. That's the truth. But at the same time, there's someone here to fix it. So the Holy Spirit brings conviction. Yeah, I'm a sinner. My sin deserves the wrath of God. And then the Holy Spirit brings Jesus to say, well, here's the one who's come to fix it. Jesus died and rose again to pay for your sins and to give you entrance into heaven. If you would simply believe and trust in him, you can be saved. You can be forgiven. You can have assurance of your salvation. So the Holy Spirit comes. Power brings confirmation. The Holy Spirit brings conviction, both of our sin, unrighteousness, and judgment, but also of God's forgiveness, love, and grace. So this is theologically how this whole thing is working out. Now what the Holy Spirit does is he takes a word and makes an experience, right? He takes a word, I can say God loves you, and then he's the one who creates an experience in your whole body about that. An experience in your soul, an experience in your mind so that you would be fully convinced. This is why so many times the word says, may he give you, Philippians 4, peace that passes what? Understanding. What does that mean? It means the Holy Spirit took peace and he gave it to you in a way you can't mathematically deduce. It's beyond your understanding. It's supernatural. Ephesians three nineteen. I want you to know the love of God that surpasses all understanding. What is happening? The Holy Spirit's taking the word love of God and he's giving it to you and it creates an experience of being loved by God, an experience that's so strong, it changes your life, but you can't explain it very much. You say, whoa, you know, like, I, you know, you ever been that? You're just on your knees crying like I'm loved by God. How does that happen? How, the Holy Spirit takes the word and he creates an experience so that you're dramatically changed from the inside out. But so often we settle for just the word and we don't dig in for the experience. We don't ask, you say, you should come into church say, I wanna feel loved by God. You know, I wanna know it so deep in my soul. I want to believe and be fully convinced that God loves me and that even when I don't see it, he's working on my behalf. This is what the Holy Spirit does. And these are the things I want us to expect. This is why these gatherings are supernatural. 
This is not a TED Talk, and this is not Nate's best minutes to give you some advice on life. This is us coming together in the power of the word and the Holy Spirit. So, verse 6, the word that was received, in verse 8 is the word that was resounded. So, just so you understand, when they received the word, they didn't come up with a new strategy to go reach the world. They took what they were given, and they gave that back. To say, the word comes in, and then the word goes out. So the power came in, and the power of God went out. The gospel came in, and it made a gospel people, and these gospel people went out, and they shared the gospel. The word of God came in, and made a people who loved the word of God. These people went out, and they shared the word of God. The spirit came in, it made a spiritual people, and these people went out into a secular world and brought the Holy Spirit there. And because of this, because what went in came out, they began to be a testimony for the entire world. So when we rely on God's power, we get God's results. That was a whole sermon, but I still have a second part. I'm going to do this super fast. Your faith, your faith, your faith. So you need, how do we do that? How do we have such a testimony? How do we have everywhere faith? Remember, back to the beginning. That's what we're asking. How do we do this? Well, his power, so when we rely on God's power, we get God's results, okay? Holy Spirit power train, choo-choo, all right? Don't you forget that. Okay. Just remember, your pastor said choo-choo in a sermon, all right? And just remember that and then attach it to the words I gave you, okay? So I make a fool out of myself for your benefit, all right? This is to help you. So your faith, your faith. Look at this. Verse 8. But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. Now, here's what's important. It wasn't just the word, but the life the word had in the congregation that created a testimony to the world. It wasn't just the word. It wasn't just the gospel, but it was the life the gospel created in the midst of a specific group of people that became the testimony to the world. It was his power, but your faith. Remember what I said a few weeks ago, that we will get as much participation from God as he gets participation from us? The word can come in every week. And if 10 of us go live it out, then we'll have about 10% of the power of the Holy Spirit. It is your faith and your living out the things that you are becoming fully convinced of that becomes the thing that creates a testimony to the world. It is to look upon the people of City Light and say, what is happening and how they are living makes no sense apart from the supernatural work of God. It is his power, but it's your faith. It is the word of God, but the word of God must find life in good soil in a congregation. This is where your responsibility comes in, because we simply and certainly rely on God's power, but that doesn't mean we sit on a chair every week or we just sit at home and do nothing. Conviction must lead to action. Write this down. Conviction leads to action. We must live what we learn, and we must release what we receive. So to be fully convinced ought to lead to action. And let me put it this way. I don't think there's any real conviction that doesn't lead to action. And so for you to be crying in here and then go live like the world, I don't think there was any conviction happening. Full conviction, real Holy Spirit conviction, doesn't lead you to be perfect right away, but it does lead to action. 
right? James 2, don't be hearers of the word only, but doers. And so we hear the word of God and then we go do it, but it's in the doing of the word of God and the participation in the work of the gospel that the Holy Spirit comes in power. Remember Matthew 28? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and lo, I will be with you always. The with you is attached to the go. You know, you want to experience the power of God? Well, go take a risk this week. You want to experience the power of God? Step into that awkward conversation. You want to experience the power of God? Go be inconvenienced for the gospel. You want to experience the power of God? Care about your neighbors. You want to experience the power of God? Fight against that sin. Take it seriously. And with the word of God, kill it. You want to experience the power of God? Then go. 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 Conviction has to lead to action. And so many times people will tell me, well, I want to experience the presence of God. And they'll say, oh, I didn't feel anything in the worship service. And I'll ask them, when's the last time you shared the gospel? Because we connect God's presence so often to just this kind of thing that we miss that every single day I have the opportunity to experience the felt presence of God by deciding to go and make disciples. Go, and I will be with you. 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 I remember one day I was sitting on a bench after a run, and there was somebody playing basketball at a court nearby. And the Holy Spirit, once again, like he does this to bother me so much, and he prompts my heart, and he says, I want you to go talk to that guy. And I think, no, 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 no. You know? Even pastors do that. You feel like the Holy Spirit asks you to do something, and you just, you know, it's not the right time. I just, no, no, you know. I love sharing the gospel, but no, okay, I just, not right now, you know. Send someone else, you know. And he's just bothering me. He's bothering me so much, you know. Y'all, y'all Christians in the room know this when the Spirit just, da, 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 it's like a hammer on you. Da, da, da. You're like, I cannot take it anymore. I cannot. And so, but I, I hear in the moment of all my there was fear. It was mainly just lackadaisicalness. I just didn't care enough, you know. I just wanted to live my life. And I was sitting on the bench, and I just, I remember him so clearly. It was like, if you go, I'll be with you. You know, Psalm 1611 says, in your presence is fullness of joy. Your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So if you go, I'll be with you. And you're going to experience these things in the scriptures that you talk about. The Holy Spirit's going to make them an experience. And I tell you, I tell you, I tell you, I got up, and I walked over to that guy, and I could sense it with all my being that the Lord was with me. And he gave me such favor in that conversation. He certainly did not get saved in that moment, but he was willing to listen. And the joy of the Holy Spirit that came upon me by an act of obedience was unmatched. It was better than anything the world can give. So here's what I want you to believe and be fully convinced by, that if you go, God will be with you. Your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. Okay, we need to close this out. I have so much more to say, but I cannot do that right now. I'm going to give you this final quote here. The evidence of the work of God in you is the work of God through you. This is explaining verse 3. Work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope. The evidence of the work of God in you is the work of God through you. The evidence of God's love in you is that God's love comes through you. True faith is not by works, but it has a byproduct of works. 
The evidence of the work of God in you is the work of God through you. The evidence of God's love in you is that God's love comes through you. True faith is not by works, but has a byproduct of works. Ultimately, we see here that their faith in God is described simply as turning from idols to serving the living God. And that's where we close today, is that the Lord is asking some of you, really all of us, to turn back to Jesus and to turn away from the things that we're caught in and the idols of our life. But for some of you, it is the very first time the Lord is calling you and he's saying to truly love me, to truly believe the gospel message is to turn away from the world and to Jesus. Away from the world and to Jesus. You cannot turn to Jesus and bring the world with you, you know. You can't do that. And the reason why you need to do this, let me plead with you, look at verse 10, is Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And so there is wrath from God. It's coming to you, okay? It's like when I went to the beach with my kids and a huge wave comes up and that wave would literally swallow little three-year-olds up, you know, and I have to grab them and move them out of the way because they would have been swept away by the wave if I didn't come pick them up. And that's the same is true with you. The wrath of God is like a big wave and it's coming to you and you should see it coming to overwhelm you with punishment on sin and hell and separation from God forever. This is the wrath of God that's coming like a big wave towards you, and you cannot get out of the wave by yourself. You're like a little three-year-old in front of the big wave. You're paralyzed. You don't know how to do it. You simply are unable. And what you need is to ask Jesus to come sweep you away to save you from the wave of God's wrath that is to come. And that's for some of you this morning. You've been coming to church, you've been watching online, you've been doing all of these things, but you have yet to turn to God and away from the world because you have not feared the wave of his wrath. And what I want you to know is that it's coming, it's coming, and you should be very afraid. And the wrath of God is strong and powerful and righteous and perfect, and it's coming, but the only way out is for Jesus to sweep you away. You must put your faith in him to be saved from the wave of the wrath of God. And that's the final call for those of you this morning. So let me pray. Why don't you go ahead and close your eyes. And I want you to consider now, as the band comes up and as we move to a time of response, how is it that your faith can go forth everywhere? And do you need to receive the love of Jesus to save you from the wrath of God? Have you turned to God and away from idols? Or are you simply practicing religion? Have you turned to God or are you still trying to hold on to the world? To turn to God is to turn away from idols. Have you trusted in Jesus to save you from the wrath to come? Or have you added Jesus as a nice person who gives good advice to your life? Because the only real salvation is the one that comes with an understanding your sin and God's wrath. So I want to encourage you this morning to respond to him and to tell him this morning that I choose you. I put my faith in you. I recognize my sin and my need for a savior and I put my faith in Jesus. So as we sing, I'm going to ask you to sing with us, but if you need to pray and respond to the Lord, you need to do that. And so, Heavenly Father, we love you, and we ask now that you would lead us into a time of right response to you, according to what you're doing by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Won't you stand with us?